World of Blazing brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith, Real Talk. This is your host, the man on fire, John Sublon of johnsublon.com. And I welcome you all back to another episode. And truth be told, uh, this episode was probably two years in the making. Uh, when I first had my guest on the show today, Father Jay Mello on, it was probably back in January of 2018. And when you first get started with some of these uh, ventures, you, uh, you, you don't know the nuances. And so the equipment wasn't right. So audio and video wasn't where it needed to be. So uh, fortunately, we're in a different place today with better equipment and uh, better video capabilities. Now, our topic for today um, is one that uh, we were just affirmed that the, uh, the evil one doesn't want us talking about, and that's uh, the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, and uh, the ability that we have as faithful to experience God's mercy through this sacrament. And so I want to kind of dive right into this episode because there's a lot to discuss here, and I want to welcome to the show my good friend and the great priest, Father Jay Mello. Hey, Father. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy feast day of Pope St. John Paul II to you. Happy feast day to you as well. Yeah. Great feast. Great feast day. Yeah, we're recording this on, on his feast day, um, which I, it's probably providential more than anything. Um, and for the viewers out there, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll post a picture up there. But actually, let me see if I can just kind of put that up there um, while we're talking. But, Father, when we, when we uh, you know, we met back in Steubenville at, in Bosco, as, as, and this is years ago. And yep. um, what always impressed me about you was, was just your, your devotion to the priesthood. So for my viewers and listeners out there, maybe you can give a little bit of introduction of yourself. Um, we know that you are, uh, you know, well, I know that you're the pastor of St. Michael's and St. Joseph's out there in Fall River, Massachusetts. But can you give a brief intro on yourself um, to the viewers out there? Sure. Uh, I'm from Fall River, Massachusetts, where I grew up and lived here until I was 19 uh, when I went to Franciscan University for my undergrad studies in philosophy, theology, and catechetics. Um, graduated in 2003 and then went to the North American College in Rome for my seminary studies. I was ordained a priest in 2007, returned back to Rome to finish a degree, uh, and then came back to the diocese, served as high school chaplain, a uh, number of parishes as assistant pastor, and it'll be five years this coming January that I've been pastor of St. Joseph's and St. Michael's in my hometown, which is great. Wow. So two churches, a school, and, and loving it. So briefly, what, what was that call to the priesthood? What did that look like um, for you, Father? Yeah. So I grew up um, at St. Peter and Paul Parish. It was two blocks away from my home. Uh, grew up uh, very involved in the parish as an altar server, remember the youth group. It was a great parish. We had, we had good priests. Um, and so from a very young age, I can remember thinking of, of the priesthood, looking up at the priest when I was seven, eight years old as, as a server, um, and just being mesmerized by everything about the priest mm -hmm. and thinking, I could do that. You know, I, I want to do that. And as you get older, you're, you know, 12, 13, 14, your interests start to change a little bit. You start realizing, well, priests can't get married and all this other stuff, and you know, you're discovering girls and, and all those things. So teenage years, I'm still involved in the parish, in, in the church, and all those things. But 
sort of was fighting the call a little bit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, it was right around when the, the first wave of scandals hit the church uh, in the early 90s, particularly here in, in my diocese and in the city of Fall River. So we had a, a priest by the name of Father John uh, James Porter who had abused dozens and dozens of kids. Mm-hmm. And so how do you tell anybody you want to be a priest when everyone's making jokes about priests? It's clearly not something uh, that a lot of people were excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, people were skeptical of, of priests in general. Um, and so it was one of the things I, I wrestled with. I didn't want to tell anybody, but it was a feeling that didn't go away. Um, and I was going through high school. What am I going to do in my life? And it was kind of almost like wrestling with God. Like it wouldn't go away, this feeling. And even though like I didn't want anything to do with it and people would encourage it, my parish priest, uh, teachers, they, they could see, I think, in me a love for the church. Um, but the whole idea of living life as a priest was just not – very, it wasn't very settled in my heart. And I remember it was on Holy Thursday of 1999, I'm 19 years old. And I remember thinking like this feeling wouldn't go away. And sitting in adoration after Holy Thursday, Lord, if, if this is what you want me to do, I, I want to do it. But you need to kind of confirm that this is what you want, not something that I want or my pastor wants or and I remember not having talked to anyone about it. My mom leans over to me in adoration and says, you know, if you want to be a priest, it's okay with me. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's pretty good affirmation for me and confirmation. So that was Holy Thursday. On Easter Monday, I scheduled a meeting with a pastor who probably, you know, maybe wasn't surprised, but probably wasn't looking forward to meetings on Easter Monday. And I appreciate that more now as a pastor. <laughs> um, I told him, I, I want to go in. I'm ready. And the rest is kind of history. Went off to Steubenville, best four years of my life, great place, as, as you know very well, mm-hmm. um, where I, I met great people, some great friends. And it was there that I learned uh, a lot more about the Catholic faith, that it wasn't just belonging to a parish. It wasn't just being an altar server or parish activities, really just said, it really is founded in a, in a love and in a friendship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'll be eternally grateful for my four years at Steubenville. Yeah, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, just having experienced not necessarily uh, education there, but um, definitely Bosco Conference was a big part of my life as I, my wife and I both took on RCA at our parish uh, back at home, but also for my, my two younger uh, children. So my oldest son graduated from Franciscan, and my youngest son is there now as a second year uh I do. I do, Father. I'm soon to be a grandparent in December. Wow. Yes. That the lotion works. The lotion works. <laughs> uh, so I want, you know, thanks for your, your story. I think it was good for just the viewers to kind of, you know, it's always good to hear vocation stories. But let's let's dive into the topic of reconciliation confession. This is um, if, when I think even going back to uh, adult faith formation, but even RCIA. Uh, especially for those that are uh, Protest- of Protestant background, like two of the key sacraments that people ultimately want to kick the door down is the sacrament of reconciliation and the sacrament of, of Holy Communion, of course, right? The Eucharist. Um, so can you, and I know both of us have some pretty powerful stories as it relates to the power of confession and reconciliation, really, right? We, it's, we know it's a, it's a sacrament of healing. 
Um, but a lot of people question, why do I need to confess my sins to a priest? And, you know, just the, the typical apologetics kind of thing that we're dealing with. But let's start with the stories first about do you have a story, Father, that you can share with uh, the listeners out there that speaks sure. to the power of confession? Yeah. Um, and one of them, it's a pretty personal uh, story and a very recent story. Mm-hmm. Um, it involves uh, hearing my dad's confession. So my dad died uh, about three weeks ago, I guess. Um, and my father, um, for many years of his life, was not a very good man. So my parents um, separated the week before I was ordained a deacon. So my dad moved out. And the next day, my mom got on a plane and flew to Rome for my diaconate ordination. Um, and so it was just you know a lot of turmoil, a lot of emotion that her marriage of almost 30 years is falling apart and she's coming to Rome to see her son ordained a deacon at the Vatican. Um, my dad just made a lot of bad decisions in his life. And really from that time on, uh, he was estranged from my mom, myself, and my younger brother, and really did very little to try to reconcile, um, reconcile that. And that was really tough for me as, as a priest, right? So here I am, I want to be a, a minister of of reconciliation, of uh, of repentance, and all of these things, and in my own life, it was a real struggle. Um, and I remember, and thanks be to God, I had wonderful people in my life. There's a, a spiritual director of mine, who's, who's now a bishop, who gave me some great advice on and just dealing with this on a personal level. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this is 13 years ago. Uh, I've really not seen my dad much, even though we live in the same city. Um, you know, we've not spent holidays together, occasionally talk on the phone. Uh, my brother had not seen or talked to him in 13 years. Mm-hmm. So in August, uh, I just got back from vacation and I'm getting ready for our parish feast here. It's a huge weekend. And my cousin calls me and said, um, I have some bad news for you. Uh, your dad was just diagnosed with stage four uh, liver cancer. And they gave him less mm-hmm. than a year to live. That was, I think, on August 1st or 2nd. And uh, he said, you really should go and see him. And so, of course, I try to make every effort to bring reconciliation to this, but he lives a lifestyle that's just totally contrary to everything. Mm-hmm. So I gone to see him in the hospital, and he's naturally very emotional about the fact that he's been given some bad news. He'd gone into the hospital because of an issue with diabetes, um, and that it was there that they discovered the, the liver cancer. And so I, I spent some time with him, talking to him. They moved him to a nursing home. And they told him it was going to be less than a year, and it ended up being six or seven weeks. But the week before he died, um, well, the weeks leading up to his death, we had some pretty frank conversations about preparing for death. Um, he was very afraid. He was very emotional. And here's a, you know, kind of a, a guy didn't have a high school education, you know, very worldly person. Uh, kind of that old school, I'm too tough for everything sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And every time I go see him, he just sit there and cry. And he really, very broken about the reality of, of death. And I, I remember at one point he was talking about his funeral or funeral arrangements or different things and, like, you know, closing up his apartment and all these worldly things. And I remember saying to him just very frankly, like, dude, you're going to stand before God sooner than later. Like, there, there are bigger things you need to worry about. Mm-hmm. And and it was tough for me to figure out the and, and I'm, a, I'm a son and I'm a priest 
And right now, the most important thing I can be for him is a priest. Mm -hmm. Um, But also recognizing the Lord was working on both of us at the same time. So I remember it was um, about four days before he died. And he looked at me and said, do you think hell is real? And, you know, there's a huge temptation to want it in those situations where you know someone is is dying mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they're afraid. And, you know, they're looking for, for consolation. You know, they're looking for, for something to bring peace to their heart. And I, I remember, you know, the temptation to want to change the subject, the temptation to just say something that would comfort him. But as a priest and as a son, I have to give the honest answer. Mm-hmm. And yes, hell does exist. And he got very emotional. He, he just turned, looked out the window, and just wept. And I remember saying to him, though, I said, but how blessed are you? And I said, you know, and he's not a man of faith. I said, I, don't, I know you don't get the reality that you're really blessed, but how many people die from a heart attack, from car accidents, stroke, that they don't have the opportunity to say, I love you. They don't have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. That they don't have any of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. I said, you know you're dying. I said, you have an opportunity to repent. You know, and, and I explained to him the story of the, the good thief who you know, stole heaven, as it were. <laughs> and so I told him that story. And, and then I said to him, I said, would you like me to get you a priest to go to confession? And to my surprise, and also to my discomfort, he said, you're a priest. Would you hear my confession? And let me tell you, it was wow. one of the most beautiful moments of, of my priesthood. He hadn't been to confession since his wedding rehearsal, some 43 years <laughs> earlier, whatever it was. Um, you know, and as a priest, it's beautiful. As a son, not so much. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're hearing things that you don't want to hear. But I'm reminding myself, he's confessing his sins to God, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to me. And as a priest, I have a very blessed opportunity to be physically present to someone, but they're confessing their sins to God. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say, and, and I don't think it's ever been um, more powerfully said in my own life, my own priesthood, I forgive you of your sins, or I, I absolve you of your sins. And it's at that moment I realized the Lord was also healing me as well. Because while I, I had forgiven him, I had kind of made peace with the whole thing, I, I didn't against him, I realized to be able to be the agent of his forgiveness, you know, uh, realizing there's still some some hurt and some brokenness and some pain in my own life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this really gets to the sort of the, the heart of, of reconciliation, mm-hmm. that, that it, it's meant to be a sacrament of, of healing. Um, and we realize that God... God is all merciful, right? He, he wants to forgive us. But we all know, we all struggle with forgiving people in our own life. You know, that people who continue to hurt us, mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. say things, who cause pain and strife in our families. And there is nothing more beautiful than that healing experience of saying, I don't hold any anger. I hold no resentment. I hold nothing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I've been healed. And, and so often confession we, we've allowed those wounds to sort of scar over. And the Lord kind of wants to open those wounds back up and, and heal us. And, and, and it's sad. 
um, because that people will live with that pain, the guilt, the resentment, the whatever of their own past sins, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in a situation where, like my dad, who hadn't been confession in forty years, and had done some pretty awful things, things that I, I knew of, I'm not trying to reveal his confession, mm-hmm. uh, but he had done some awful things in his life, and to be able to see the the peace on someone's face when they're they're absolved. And like, again, you know, he had the opportunity like the good thief, you know, lived an awful life, had no real relationship with God, had ruined his relationship with his entire family, but was forgiven of his sins, was able to be anointed, receive communion before he died. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, it was a very it, it was the most powerful experience of confession that that I've had just because of the relationship obviously. But um, well, Father, you know, for obviously, my condolences to you and, and to your family for the loss. And you know, I imagine that you're still processing that moment. Um, you know, even it being three weeks ago or whatever time frame it was, just because, as a person who also comes from um, uh, somewhat of a very broken um, family background, I think we all do to some degree. But specifically with my own father and and how that transpired and and translated into my own experience as a man or lack thereof in my own uh, adulthood. But um, you speak to a lot of, to a variety of different, I guess, uh, points around reconciliation. Um, and so I'm gonna try to dissect it a little bit, right? Sure. So the concept of the, the, the priestly obligation that you have. So mm-hmm. you said that was very powerful, right? That um, the heart is like, well, I'm a, I'm a hurt, I'm a, I'm a wounded son trying to reconcile you know, all of everything that's gone through in your life as best you can, given this very critical moment. And I can actually empathize because um, I had such an estranged relationship with my father and I I found out he was dying four weeks before he died. And I, at this point, I had not spoken to him or my family for easily 10, 10 plus years. So to get notified of saying, hey, would you want to know if dad was dying Um, in a text message, that kind of thing. which is kind of, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode um, of communication, but you have to make some of those decisions really quick. So I can, Ooh, I can, I'm right there with you as a son, but the priestly obligation and privilege and opportunity, like you articulated to your father about, you know, a lot of people don't get that opportunity to reconsider their life and to, to ask for God's mercy. So let's talk about this um, from a very uh, taking the, the father J piece out of it as son, but as father, um, this, this concept of having to confess your sins to, to a man, to a priest, can you help unpack that for the listeners out there? Yeah, I, I think there's several reasons that it is important. One, it's important because Jesus tells us that it is right. So if we start with him, we start the scriptures, you know, on an Easter Sunday, he breathes his Holy spirit onto his apostles. And one of his first commands to them is, Whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Whatever mm-hmm. sins you retain are retained. That Jesus is sharing um, his authority and his mission to forgive sins with his church. Mm-hmm. So it's not me as a person who is forgiving sins. It is God, through me as his minister, uh, forgiving his sins. Because we are, as priests, continuing the mission of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, people could ask why... Why, why is it important? Why can't I just confess my sins to God? Why do I need this priest to sort of 
do that for me. Because we all know there's something very therapeutic about it and also very healing about it, mm-hmm. right? Because our sins are not, not all of our sins are, are, are just, just us, right? Our, our, our sins affect the entire church, the entire community, because mm-hmm. we are one body of Christ. And so the priest is representing the church and being the one to say, I forgive you. And like, I think for my dad, for example, if he were to be able to lie his death and say, God, I'm sorry, you know, God's not bound. He's bound to the sacraments. He's not bound by them. God can forgive anybody he wants, whatever way he wants. Right. Um, but when we, he, but he assures us that, that if we confess our sins with a repentant heart, that, you know, if we have that firm purpose of amendment to not commit these sins again, that he will forgive us our sins. And I think that that sense of certitude is very healing. Like I can, for example, if I offend you, if I, if I insult you or insult your family, and I'm just like, and I whisper under my breath, wow, I'm sorry I did that. I, I could be sorry, but I owe you an apology. That's right. That's and there's right. something very healing about hearing you say to me, I forgive you, mm-hmm. right? And, and the priest stands there as a representative of the church, a representative of God, to say, I forgive you of that. Mm-hmm. And people get so hung up on it. Um, and, and I get it. I mean, I confess my sins to, to other priests as well. Some of them are friends of mine. I mean, it, it's humbling, mm-hmm. but that's the remedy for sin. Well, I think, because, you bring, I, I think you bring up a good point just on the human level, that mm-hmm. uh, as humans, we expect, um, we quite demand, right, and require that if there's an offense against any one of us, that, that an apology be made and retribution be right uh, experienced, given. And, and, and so I think it's funny, this is how we play as humans, when it's mano a mano, one-on-one, man, it's like we apply all those rules, but when it comes to God, nope. You know, we don't need to, uh, and it's just kind of this interesting um, mm-hmm. irony that we that we experience. But you're but you're absolutely right. I think there is a healing both ways. I mean, I oh. think even uh, the experience what you just described with your with your own father that for for both parties. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a plethora of emotions there and a plethora of scenarios to where to be actually to understand that there is salvation at stake, and mm-hmm. that there was that opportunity, right? That um, you can know as a son. Um, you know, that when your father seeks that, that love and mercy that you, you, you know, with fairly good confidence know that where, where they're going, um, you know, God truly knows, but it's like, no, you, in, in the role that you play as, as a priest, you, you were a part of that, but even as a son to be able to hear the, the remorse, the, you know, the contrition. Um, and I imagine there was a lot of conversation between you and your dad, to, to yep. walk through all of those years of, of pain. But so that's a one aspect, of course. Yeah, we go to scripture. We know that, you know, that's, a, that's one of the first things that Jesus gives his apostles the authority to do. Um, the other aspect of the, it's funny, uh, it, just listening to the uh, I was listening to Catholic Answers on the radio today. And there was a, a Protestant gal that called up around the same topic, says I'm Protestant. And um, so I'm not Catholic, but I worry about death. And I, I, I've committed mortal sin. Mm-hmm. And, but what do I do? I just can't go get confession, but it's on my heart. And so, you know, the, the apologist there, Jimmy Aiken, kind of walked her through in the sense of, you know, what that looks like from, from a non-Catholic perspective and, you know, uh, perfect contrition and things of that nature and try to help her understand that if you truly do feel that and it's rooted in 
perfect charity in that sense that there's obviously there's God is not bound by the sacraments, as you said. Um, but it's like even more reason to me in my mind to to become Catholic. Actually, you should come over and come over to the Catholic church. But, um, so let's talk about the, the, for those out there who may not be familiar, maybe some people out there, I imagine plenty of, uh, those that are listening, um, may have been away from the sacrament for some time. So for one, can we break down what is, what makes, maybe we can talk about venial mortal sin and then, um, for somebody that may be wanting to come back and that, that fear factor of, I haven't been, I mean, you think about your father, if you're saying 40 plus years of not mm-hmm. going to confession, you know, that's a whole lot of no showers, right? A whole lot of, yeah. uh, of, of stuff that we're just allowing on ourselves. So can you break it down, father? What can, yeah, what constitutes? So I, I think the, the first part of it, before we get into, you know, distinctions of, of sin is just an appeal to people to get over that, that fear, that anxiety, that whatever it is that's keeping you from, from confession. Um, because there's nothing that's bringing you peace to your life. Uh, and and I, I say that people so often, like when people come back, you know, and it's, bless me if it's been 25 years, 40 years, whatever, 50 years, the first question I always, well, I always say, welcome back, first of all. But then I ask the question, what, what made you come back? And for some people, it's like, you know, I don't even know why I stopped going. You know, it's sort of like the dentist, right? Or your, your annual physical. You know, something comes up, you have to reschedule. You never reschedule. Now it's been, you know, you missed six months. Now it's a year. Now it's 18 months. Now it's four years. Like, what? I just haven't gone, right? You know, um, and I think some people just get out of the habit of going. And, you know, there's no real main reason why, why they don't go back. But they're afraid of, well, I, I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine someone who hadn't been the dentist in 40 years. They're afraid to, to go there. It's, like, it's uncomfortable, right? Because you're vulnerable. You're lying in a chair, with your mouth wide open, and someone's got metal objects in your mouth. I, I get it. Or, or physical, <laughs> much more invasive. Like, someone's just kind of looking at your body and examining you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you go to confession, it's you're opening yourself up of saying, these are all the things I've done wrong. And no one wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we realize it's only going to the divine physician Christ himself, that we can bring that real healing into our life. The other reason people don't, um, they've stopped going, it's been so long, is they're really embarrassed about something. They've done something that they don't want to say out loud. Um, even it's behind a screen to a complete stranger who's never going to see them. Um, I think even for themselves, saying it out loud, you know, and many times it's, it's something big, right? You know, one of those big moral things like, you know, uh, having an affair or, or something went on that they just want to bury. They, they want to forget about it, pretend it did not exist. Mm-hmm. But it eats away at them. And going to confession is so therapeutic and so healing. But I tell people all the time, it, it's that act of humility, which is the remedy for So pride is the root of all sin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's pride that keeps us from humbly saying, you know, I'm sorry. Right? It, it's, it's Judas and Peter. It's all pride, right? Mm-hmm. Peter's sin is actually worse, right? Peter's closer friend. Peter denied our Lord. You know, people can make a justification for what Judas did or why he did it. But at the end of the day, it's not the sin that matters. It's what we do after, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so Judas was so full of pride and so not trusting that our Lord could heal him and forgive him that he goes out and, you know, commits suicide in an act of despair. Mm-hmm. Peter, in an act of complete humility, falls at our Lord's feet. It says, Lord, forgive me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and I try to bring that story up over and over again because it's so important. Peter's sin was forgiven, and it was much worse than Judas's sin. That's such a great point, Father. The other thing that I I think a lot of people need to kind of get over is thinking that somehow you as a priest have never heard my type of sin. Oh yeah, right. That mm-hmm. that somehow our sin is new or um, worse than the, you know, I mean, obviously there are some sins that are graver than others. However, um, as a priest, that's, you know, you're not over there on your chalkboard, you know, keeping tabs of how many people, how many sins people are committing. Um, And I I think people also, one of the things I tell people a lot is, you know, the devil's, one of the devil's key tricks is convincing you that the sin you're about to commit is no big deal. And then the minute that you commit it, it's the biggest deal to keep you away from God. Right. Yeah. So it's it's, you know, that justification that, yeah, I need I should do this, whether that be partaking, indulging in some um, addiction, addictive behavior. Um, and then you're justified in that. And then when you do it, it's like, see, you're look at you, John. You know, you're, you're nobody's going to love you. God's not going to forgive you for that. And I think the um, to experience I know I'm a, my one of my major conversion moments was in the confessional um, and the healing that goes on there, if people really understood, like you said, not just the therapeutic piece, but just the, just the, the, those chains, right? The bonds that are broken, the, the weight that's lifted off your shoulder. Um, you know, the fact that you, you are, you're closest to being a saint at that moment, right? Um, uh, as you walk out of that confessional and, and do your penance and, and give it to God, um, you know, with everything you got. So I think that to encourage those out there, like you said, just, you know, just, just get back. The first step is just get back. Um, don't think you have anything more, more exciting or interesting or uh, scandalous that a priest is, hasn't heard. And why are you holding back on something that's a, that's a gift to you? Yeah. And you know, all those is sort of a way of kind of leading to your, your question about the distinction of sin, mm-hmm. because the third reason people kind of avoid confession is they say, I don't have any big sins. <laughs> right. And it's like, maybe they have. It's like, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, you know, I don't really lie. I, I go to Mass every Sunday. And so there's a sense of like, why am I going to confession if I haven't really done anything wrong? Right? And uh, that's why I lean back in the confession. I grab the application for sainthood and I, <laughs> I hand it to him. Oh, give it back to me and, you know, we'll send it off to the Vatican. Yeah. But, you know, there are some people who are like, you're right, I haven't committed any major sins. So what's the need to go to confession becomes the place where you, when you've done something really bad type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, but we have to look at conversion too. Like conversion is not just the St. Augustine, St. Paul type conversion. We're all called to daily conversion, right? That, that ongoing met, metanoia, as the, the church calls it. That um, I want to be more saintly, more holy, more faithful tomorrow than I was today. That, you know, that there's no, there's no plateaus in the spiritual life. Kind of moving forward, or sliding back. It's not like we're at a standstill. Right. And so we can ask ourselves, what direction do we want to be moving in? Do we want to move closer to the Lord or slide back away from Him? So to look at sin, you know, and, and this is the first part of confession, is making a good examination of conscience, mm-hmm. of being able to come and, and look at our life and say, how have I offended God? How have I, I sinned against others? How have I sinned against myself? You know, use the commandments. Uh, you can use the Beatitudes, you know, but, but you know, other spiritual guides, are, they're great um, guides out there for examining your conscience. Mm-hmm. And, but it's so important. You, you know, sometimes we'll go in there, and, and it kind of, you know, as a priest can drive you crazy a little bit. When people are like, oh, 
bless me, Father Fry of Sin. I, I, I don't know what I've done. You know, it's kind of like, all right, we'll go back out, prepare, and then come back. You know, um, but you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to put up an, you know, an opportunity. Someone's like, well, Father threw me out of confession. <laughs> um, but it's an essential part of, of, of confession is examining your conscience. Um, and that means writing it down or, you know, spending some time in prayer, saying, Lord, what, have I, what are my sins of omission? It's a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what things should I have been doing that I haven't? Um, so a good examination of conscience and then looking at the difference between a mortal sin and, and a venial sin. So mortal sin is something that is grave matter, like breaking commandments. You know, so missing mass on a Sunday, killing someone, committing adultery. You know, we can go through all list of what grave matter is. But it's also something that you're fully aware of and something that you're doing freely. Um, so, for example, is killing someone always a mortal sin? Some people say, yeah. And then I say, well, no. And then, you know, the eyebrows raise and it's like, well, if you're driving your car and, you know, you're not on your phone, you're, you're abiding by the laws of the road and someone runs out in front of you and you run them over, you kill them. But it's not a sin because you didn't do so freely. You weren't intending to, to kill someone. So to be a mortal sin, you have to free, freely intend to do it. You have to, to know that it's a sin and it has to be great matter. You know, so one of the major issues in the church today that is a real struggle for us pastors is because there's been years of bad catechesis, mm-hmm. is does someone have full knowledge that something is a sin? For example, I was a while ago I was preparing someone for, for the sacraments, and, and they were living together. And it's like, well, but we need to... And so I sat down and talked to them. No one ever told them that it was a sin to cohabitate. That it was like they were doing it for purely financial reasons. They, they loved each other. They intended on getting married. They had no clue because no one ever told them that sex before marriage and, and living together is sinful. So is it a mortal sin for them? Well, no, because they're missing that, that key. Is it grave matter? Yes. Yeah. They're freely doing it. Yes. But they didn't know that it was a sin. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. there's an obligation on all of our parts to, to know our faith, to you know, some people say, well, the more I know, the more I'm responsible for it. So I don't want to know anymore, true. right? True. Uh, which is not a good argument, you know. Um, but it's also a, a great reminder to us as a church that, you know, we can't reduce catechetical formation to Jesus loves you, right? Which we've done for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mom can open up a closet and find lots of macaroni crosses and collages and all of these things that we did in religious education, you know, and I think I went to Catholic for nine years and I learned that Jesus Christ was truly present in the Eucharist at a public high school. And how awful is that? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. But it happens. So the church has done an awful job and it's getting much better um, with passing the faith on in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So but when we look at sin, you know, mortal sin, grave matter, full knowledge, and, and freely doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, like missing Mass on a Sunday. So if, you know, it's not snowing out, I know it doesn't snow much in Northern California, so you don't have that as an excuse. We do out here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, the weather's fine. You can drive yourself there. You know, it's, how awful is when I hear kids in my school, they'll say, Father, I miss Mass on a Sunday. Well, it's not really their sin because right. they don't have their license. They can't. Get, it's their parents' sin mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. not bringing them here. But it's our job still to inform them and, and to form their minds 
that missing a mass on a Sunday is, is wrong and it's sinful, right? Mm-hmm. So the venial sins would be things that are not necessarily grave matter, lesser sins. Um, you say maybe those white lies, maybe the the gossip, maybe the you know the bickering with the spouse or the coworker, or you know the lesser sins, right? So, Father, another something to talk along those lines because I think you brought up a good point about some people thinking that, well, I've haven't committed mortal sins. And, you know, um, I think the, the, maybe the misunderstanding that if you can, you can fail, lie, cheat still in the smallest of ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and those, it leads to, it's a trajectory of sin, right? That it's building the vice versus rather than the virtue. Um, Mm -hmm. you're building the wrong muscle basically, right? That you're conditioning yourself if, if it is just venial sins, um, mm-hmm. you're conditioning yourself to be, a, you know, a sin, sin-making machine versus a virtue-living right. person. So I think that's the other aspect of it as well, that, you know, um, that we need to exercise the sacrament for. You know, what about the sanctifying grace in that? So how often would you say then, Father? So obviously mortal sin, get to the confession, get to confession yeah. as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what about venial sins? What, what would you say, you know, I'm a person who likes to exercise. I don't like a month going by without going to confession. I like to try to go, you know, every week, every two weeks um, at a minimum. Um, and that's just with venial sin, mm-hmm. right? That's just me trying to, hey, I need to stay in that, in that, in, in that, um, in that state of, of sanctifying grace and just training myself, my will, my soul. I just, I need, that's my accountability. That's my ability to receive God's mercy. But what, what is your recommendation to, to the faithful on that? Well, first, um, the church requires all Catholics to go to confession at least once a year, mm-hmm. right? At, at a bare minimum, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when people come to me and ask that question, I sort of turn it around and ask them, mm-hmm. well, how serious are you about your spiritual life? Yeah. And that's going to answer your question. Yeah. You know, if you're content being mediocre about your Catholic faith, then go once a year. But if you want to take your faith seriously, if you want to grow in virtue, if you want to try to overcome voluntary sin, if you want to try to grow in your relationship with our Lord, then I'd suggest, you know, going every two weeks, once a month. I mean, going more than once a month. Because the other thing is, the longer we put it off, the more the more we forget, yeah. right? And you start going to confession every week, every two weeks, you become much more aware of what you've done in two weeks as opposed to, um, excuse me, uh, to six months, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, if we look at confession as a real essential part of our relationship with our Lord, we make an analogy to other relationships. You know, if you told your wife that you love her once every six months, once a year, you know, once a year, once just a, required. See, yeah, you know, <laughs> on Valentine's Day, on your anniversary, I love you, there, I said it, got it over with, move on. Yeah. Um, you know, but you want to grow in your relationship with your wife. You know, you want to love her more this year than you did last year, mm-hmm. right? And so, question, how am I going to do that? How do, how do I grow in, in that, since married level? How do we grow in our relationship with our Lord? And so, I also, I don't want to give the advice. I, I'll ask you, you know, how serious are you about your faith? If you're not really that serious, then... Go whenever you want. Yeah, it's kind of silly, right? It's like putting, Father, tell me the rule, right? What's the what's the rule of engagement? And I think that's a beautiful point too. That um, it is about love. It's about a relationship. That hey, you know, any relationship worth having is going to take a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of humility, 
Um, and, and I just think it is so, we're just, you know, it's, it's the nature of habitual sin, right? So yeah. it's just, you think about if we, if we, it's like going to the gym, if you're a conditioned person and you, and you stay healthy, you know, how easy it is to say you missed a gym this week. And then all of a sudden that week turns into months. And then that, you know, then all of a sudden you're back on the fast food track. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm 50 pounds heavier. And I, I didn't know what happened. Um, how much more than that with your soul, right? That, that uh, you have just that crud and that, that, that just a gunk of life um, that, that just weighs us down, right? Well, in just case for any of my friends who are listening, we should get off of this gym analogy because they know that I don't go to the gym at all. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, bad analogy, Father. Um, <laughs> uh, whatever it may be in life, right? Right? Yeah. It does get harder as we get older, though, Father. Yeah, I'm working so. on my soul, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more important, right? It I is. Mean, hey, I'm getting glorified body in heaven. <laughs> That's right. That so. that is. So if you think about getting to heaven, right? It's like, hey, man, we at our best. Right. When it comes to physique, man, if there's anything, you're going like, to be looking at me and saying, why did I do all these sit-ups on earth? <laughs> I'm have just the same abs as you do. That's, <laughs> that's good. Oh, I need to remind myself of that when I'm, when I'm <laughs> giving myself a bad time about not, not staying uh, balanced in the, on the physical sense. So, okay. So let's talk about the, um, the, some, some people don't even know. So we talked about the getting back to the confessional, um, to the practice of the sacrament. Um, Let's talk about the, and you broke down venial sin versus mortal sin. What about the steps involved for uh, actual absolution, right? So some maybe, can you break down the word absolution? What does that actually mean? What are the steps in, in, involved in, uh, okay, now you got me convinced, Father, I want to get back into the confessional. I want to start to practice this, this, this sacrament exercise more. Can you talk about the, the steps involved? Yeah. So again, the, the first thing is, is making the decision that, I'm sorry for my sins, right? And I think even with that contrition is examining our own conscience and saying, do I have perfect contrition or imperfect contrition? You know, why am I sorry for my sins, right? So in a situation, going back to my dad and not to judge his, his soul or his intentions, I, I think he may have had imperfect contrition. Like, I, I think he's afraid of going to hell, mm-hmm. right? He's afraid of the consequences of it, right? So imperfect contrition would be, I, I'm afraid of, of the consequences of my sin. Perfect contrition would be, I'm sorry for my sins because I know that I hurt someone that I love, right? And that, that may have been his, you know, he, he may have truly been sorry that he, he hurt me, my brother, my mom, whatever. When we go to confession, perfect contrition is, I'm, I'm confessing my sins, I'm sorry because I've offended God. Mm-hmm who created me, who died for me, who loves me? Um, or am I going to confession because I know I should, because I'm afraid of going to hell, because I feel guilty? And so that's a, the first step, is saying, am I truly sorry? Because if we're not sorry, and if we have no intention of stopping that sin, like let's say, for example, someone's having an ongoing affair, mm-hmm. and they, they go to confession because they know it's wrong, they feel guilty, whatever, but they know they're going to go back to it next Friday night, then you're not making good confession. Mm-hmm. And confession is not magic. So it's not like, okay, well, you confessed it, so it's gone. Right. So if you're not truly sorry, and, and only God can judge that. I mean, if you come to confession to me, you say, Father, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been one week since my last confession. I, I slept with a married woman, and there's my sin. Give me my three Hail Marys and send me on my way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the way that it works. 
right? And we're going to have that conversation of what are you doing to make sure you don't do this again? Mm-hmm. And whatever that mm-hmm. sin may be. Um, so there's a lot that goes into confession before we walk into the confessional, mm-hmm. right? So it's first looking, am I truly sorry for my sin? And if we're not, then pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me a greater sorrow, give me a greater awareness of my sin, give me a greater sorrow for my sin, and give me that desire for true repentance and true conversion. So we pray for, for those things there. Then we kneel down and we examine our conscience and we use a guide and you know, if we need to, we write down our sins. These are the two real essential steps that make for a really good confession. And the, the two steps that took place before you even said, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, and so that's always the advice I give to people. What you do in preparation is so much more, um, I don't want to say effective, because we know that the, the sacrament is effective, but you know, it's so powerful in our experience of, of a good confession. So, Father, uh, to, to break it down, though, so what do we need to, to articulate to you as a priest, right? So the, the nature of the sin, what is the sin? Correct. Right. So before we can get a confession, the, the sorrow and the examination. Mm-hmm. Get in, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. So we indicate first how long it's been since our last confession, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to help in, in the conversation with the priest. But if you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and they just kind of rattle off some sins, well, my counsel to you is going to be different if it's been a week or if it's been 50 years. That's right. Right? So that's just on, on a very human, practical level for that. Um, and we try to, you know, some may say 50 years, it may be 49, it may be 52. We're trying to get a general sense of um, how, how, how are you practicing your faith, how often are you going. And then we have to um, verbalize, uh, we say, um, case and number. So what our sin was and generally how many times we've committed that sin, right? So when someone comes in and say, Father, I, I've not been in confession in 50 years and... I haven't been to Mass for most of those. You know, so in my mind, I can just, okay, about 52 Sundays in a year plus Holy Days, let's say there's 60 days, 50 years, you know, 300, whatever it may, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you start counting that way. But if someone says, well, I don't know, I, you know, I, I don't know. But, but it's an essential part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're confessing, let's say, I had an affair. Well, having a one-night stand is different than having, you know, an ongoing relationship for 30 years with a woman in the next town, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the, the case in number is, is what the church asks us to um, to confess. Right? Minus, and, the, minus the details, right? So we're not telling you like the, all the, you know, the, the soap opera filled drama of whatever that sin was. Yeah, I don't need to know what motel, I don't need to know. And those things, no, you know, we just, we have to, but we also need to say, um, and there's sometimes we, we, we're too vague, and we may need to clarify mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, for example, someone says, you know, I lied. I, I may ask, you know, or I stole, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I may ask, can you clarify? I mean, do you steal a pen from work, or do you steal a Cadillac? <laughs> you know, because they're, they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And because we also need to make retribution. For us, especially when we've, you know, taken something that doesn't belong to us, we've damaged someone's property. Um, so we do need to confess uh, all mortal sins. So we can't go in and say, you know, let, we all have sins we're embarrassed about, right? We don't want to. So we go in there, we've got five sins, you know, we miss mass, we, whatever it may be. We can't say, 
Father, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I've done this, 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 and for all my other sins. We we can't just use the all my other sins to sort of lump in those things that we don't want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, going in there again, we're vulnerable. We're nervous. Um, if we legitimately forget something, you know, um, that we're not intentionally holding back, you know, we are forgiven. But it, it's a good practice when we go to confession the next time. Say, Father, I I didn't intentionally leave this out but I, I forgot to confess this last time. It's good for us to articulate our sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also purposely withholding a sin can render the, the sacrament invalid as well, right? If there's something we just don't want to talk about, or, you know, for example, someone's like, you know, let's say they're, they're having the affair. I don't want to keep on going back to that sin, but, you know, they go in and say, well, I missed Mass on Sunday, I missed a holy day, I didn't say my prayers, I, whatever, and I'm not going to confess having an affair because I'm not sorry for it, or I have no intention of, of stopping. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't be con- forgiven for some of our sins, but not all. That's not the way confession works. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, because it's all about conversion, and it's either are we taking our our spiritual life seriously, or are we not? Yeah, you brought up a good point about them not being magic, and and there's uh, obviously we're talking through some of the technicalities of the sacrament, right? What makes them valid and licit. Um, but for the listeners out there to understand that this is not, we're not encouraging you to take this in a, in a mechanical way, right? That you're just going to it thinking that, you know, without thinking through, um, with everything, you know, with sincere thought and to, to actually have contrite hearts to be, are you remorseful? Are you regretful? Um, are you sorry for the offenses that you made towards God and towards other? Um, these are all things that are way more important than just the steps, involved it's trying to approach the the sacrament understanding in both the true technicalities of it but obviously the 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 more deeper um meaning to the sacrament itself sure and, and i think again that's what sometimes keeps people away is because they're afraid like i forgot how to go to confession like what do i say i, mm-hmm. I don't remember the act of contrition or you know everyone knows that the bless me father for i have sinned mm-hmm. you know but mm-hmm. after that everyone kind of gets nervous about it yeah and, and i yeah. for people all the time there's nothing to be nervous and you can tell people come in they're behind the screen you can tell by the way they're, they're breathing heavy or by their, their uneasiness. And one of my practices is, is generally try to calm people down. Yeah. Take a deep yeah. breath, you know, whatever it is. But Because really, it's an account with the Lord. And the Lord doesn't want to make people anxious or, or nervous. The Lord wants to heal. That's right. That's right. right. And, yeah, I think one of the things we used to do when we were when we were in charge of our CIA was the same thing. You know, you kind of took it for granted, right? You're saying, okay, some of these people are going to be brought into the church on Easter Vigil, and you're talking about the the sacrament of confession. And you know, we would uh, we started to institute we would walk them into the confessional. So we would say, mm-hmm. let's go tour the church, right, and teach them about the different elements of the of the church, um, uh, the different parts of the mass, so on and so forth. But then you walk them into the confession. Here's what a confessional look. Neil. Right. Here's where the priest is. Um, let's let's kind of do like a mock uh, a mock trial, if you will, of of going to confession, because it at least takes the element of surprise versus saying, all right, you know, you're going to be you're going to be obviously absolved of all your sins, but you need to put this this sacrament into practice. And that's, uh, you know, that can be traumatizing for a lot of people. Right. To say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm coming to the faith as an adult. It's been 30 some years since I've shared anything with anybody. And now I got to just dump this on uh, to, to complete stranger that I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think those elements of just, sure. you know, people to, to, you know, make an appointment with the priest, obviously, right? Trying to jump in the confessional line and dump in 35 years of, I mean, do what you need to do. But at the same time, 
there's probably a better way to approach it. Like saying, Hey, father Jay, I need to set up an appointment because this is going to be more than a five minute confession. It's going to be, you know, 45 minutes of me just pouring it out to you. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in, uh, in Steubenville, we were working on, uh, our, our thesis and I had to write one for theology, one for philosophy. And I remember my philosophy instructor, he said, you know, writing a thesis is like going to confession. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be right. Just, just do it. Just go. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that's the way confession works. It must be right. But his point was like, we can get so uh, focused on like the details of like wanting to, to follow the formula mm-hmm. that we, we forget about why it is that we're there. You know, what is the purpose of it? Guilty as, and, guilty as charged, Father. Guilty as charged. I, yeah. I, I tend to like the, you know, the, the, I'm a rule follower in, in, in a mm-hmm. big way. So, you know, I'm a rubrics guy. I'm a germ guy. So it's just like you get me out of that little box. It, I can feel like, man, did I did I do that? So let's talk about that because there's a, there's going to be a tendency for those like myself to sure. be tempted towards scrupulosity, feeling like, yep. oh, I didn't do it right or I didn't share this. And and then now you're you, you know, you've totally dismissed the grace received, the sanctifying grace through that sacrament because you're so worried or anxious about whether or not you did it appropriately. So what do you, what do you share with those folks that may be tempted towards scrupulosity? Yeah. And honestly, this one is almost more difficult in dealing with than people who have been away for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes that, that scrupulosity is not something that people can control. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's just sort of... It's the way their mind works yep. sometimes, and it just it, it is very mechanical, and it's very black and white, um, and you know, and sometimes it, it's a bit Pharisaical, right? And we see our Lord dealing with the Pharisees, and, and theirs it may not have been their psychological makeup as much as it was their ideology, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that Pharisaical of like, okay, I, I did this; it was three times, and, and we're we're forgetting why we're there, right? And, you know, we see so many examples of our Lord telling stories of, you know, the prodigal son, for example, you know, of the, the sense of, you know, the other son, yeah, but I did this. I was kind of, you can almost see that, mm-hmm. that rigorism in the elder son. Like, I, I did all the things that were right. Like, I followed the rules. And the father's like, what's the big picture? Like, your, son, your brother's lost, and now he's found. Mm-hmm. Let's just, we're not going to worry about the details of what he did, you know. And so often we need to be reminded of that. Um, but scrupulosity is something that a lot of people deal with, and a lot of, something that some people really struggle with, because, you know, there are times where people, like, they'll try to come to confession three or four times in the same day. It's like, well, I need to go to confession. And, they, they, because, and I get it. It's, it's with a good intention. Like, I don't want sin on my soul. But we can't live in the confessional library. Right. Because right. the Lord, in confession, gives us the freedom to, to want to be... His children recognize that we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We commit mortal sin. We go to confession as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when we start saying, I need to go to confession several times a day, or even several times a week, yeah. you know, uh-huh. we can say, is this becoming obsessive? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think in those situations, um, and it's very tough to generalize, uh, and that's what, you know, that's what makes this question, because scrupulosity is really different for each person. Um, and so I tell him, talk to your priest, have a good conversation with him outside of the confessional and set up sort of a, uh, a spiritual game plan for how you're going to deal with your, your own spiritual growth and, and confession. 
Yeah. yeah. No, good advice. I think that's the, uh, especially somebody that's vying for holiness and wants to get to heaven, right? I think there can be a level of uh, obsessiveness. And I know I can be guilty of that sometimes where it's like, you know, um, you know, when you, when you want something so bad, right? Um, we tend, and then we try to will ourselves towards it rather than trusting in the mercy of God. And there's a balance, right? So it's not swinging the pendulum the other way. Like God loves me. I can do anything I want. It's actually saying no, but you also have to trust in the mercy of God and, and the really what the, the, the effect of that sacrament and, you know, start to look at some of those other areas that may be uh, less about the spiritual element and more about maybe the mental health side of it, perhaps. Right. Um, to where you're kind of clenching on to, to the act of confession rather than uh, the active part of confession in God's mercy. So Father, um, any, anything else you have to, to share with the listeners or viewers on, on confession, um, healing, mercy um, that you think would be of value? Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking I was celebrating the, the feast day of John Paul II, mm-hmm. you know, who was such a great minister of God's mercy, but how he was able to put that into practice in his own life, right? Confession isn't only about us being forgiven. It's about us receiving God's mercy, but also recognizing how we are to continue that in our own life. You know, we remember John Paul II being shot, that assassination attempt in, in 1981, and the probably one of the most powerful images of him, and there are a lot. I mean, he's a very photogenic guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can look at photos of him celebrating Mass and in adoration and all day long. He's just, and you're so inspired by, by the real love that he had for the Lord. But the image of him sitting in a jail cell, going to offer forgiveness to the man who tried to take his life, I think was really the fruit of his own spiritual life and, and the fruit of his own time as, as a penitent. Mm-hmm. You know, like how can we receive God's mercy if we're unwilling to give it to others? And we know that forgiveness is tough. When people have heard us, because, and I get it, like, I had to remind myself, and I, I talked about this at my dad's funeral, like, I had to remind myself many times that Jesus Christ alone is his judge. Mm-hmm. And, like, I could justify my anger towards my dad. And so often people think that if we forgive someone, we're almost justifying what they did wrong. And it's not. Mm-hmm. When we forgive someone, it's not saying what you did was fine mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is I am not going to hold on to that resentment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by going to confession and receiving God's mercy ourselves, we are more free and more inclined to say to someone else, I forgive you. Because we can't. And, and it happens a lot uh, of people who, I want to be forgiven by God. I don't want him to hold my sins against me. But I can't. I, I, and people say it all the time. I forgive, but I won't forget. Well, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Um, and so going to confession it really it opens us up to, to being forgiven and being more inclined to forgive others. And, and we all need that in our life. Yeah, I think the, that concept of forgive and forget, I think some people may, it, you know, the hanging on to the, the resentment or the anger piece, you know, we, we learn from past and, and from history and from these mistakes. So to be more prudent and more um, wise right. about things is, is one thing. Yep. But going back to um, Pope St. John Paul II, who... For the, I, I think most listeners out there should know who Pope St. John Paul II is, but just his life, you think about 
He lost his sister before he was born. He lost his mom at age nine. He lost his brother at age 12. He lost his father at age 20 or 21. He lived during uh, the communist times, was underground um, for much of his, his call to the vocation, and yet still exemplified joy and peace and mercy. Um, when you, know, you look at just going through one of those uh, moments, um, like you said, where you could have a... Um, a you know maybe a distorted view or justification for your anger or your hurt or for lack of presence of God because of all the presence of um of of, of you know pain and suffering in your own life so he could have been an unbelievably bitter angry man yeah you know, with all those things he went through yes and that, that that era and I think when we think about how blessed we've been to experience such his his you know long tenured pontificate. Um, he has absolutely brought a lot of people to um, uh, to experience God's mercy, and I know we're two of those individuals for sure. Yeah, amen. Well, Father, I, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, that's that's been a lot to obviously open up yourself and, and your own experience, which I think was probably the most powerful part of this interview um, to, to speak firsthand, um, both as a son and as a priest. So I thank you for that, and we'll continue to pray for your father's soul and for your family and your and during your time of loss. Um, and also for the listeners out there to, you know, I know Father, Father Jay is one of those priests that, you know, when I look at you on uh, social media and just living, showing us the joy of being a priest and a pastor. Um, we need more, more examples of that, especially in today's church, um, mm -hmm. in today's world. So I'm very grateful for your priesthood, for your yes. Very grateful for your witness to what priesthood should look like. Um, a very engaged pastor, a loving pastor, but one that leads them towards truth. Um, specifically the person who is truth, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I'm very grateful for uh, your witness as, as a priest in these times and these days. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you could exercise your priestly duty and offer uh, myself and the rest of the uh, listeners a priestly blessing as we uh, uh, you know, part ways here, I would greatly appreciate it. Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, your family, and all of your listeners. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. God bless. Keep up the good work out there in uh, Fall River. All right. God bless True you. Faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.